Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on Fan of History. Here we are again, Dan. We sure are. I'm glad to be back. You have done four excellent episodes. Great job. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm now, having the time of my life. Now people must listen to some Swinglish again. <laughs> I, I think you sound very... I, think, I wish I could speak Swedish as well as, you know, you speak English. I wish I could speak, uh, you know, English. Pretty much as good as you know. Some of these words, you know how I massacre them. Don't, don't ever learn Swedish. It's a small, useless language. So you say. Well, anyway, here we are again. And how about we have interns now? We have we have a couple of new researchers, and uh, we have Kavan Monroe and we have Caitlin Weldon. They they agree to help help us uh, with research, and they help me with this episode. So thank you very much, those two. Cool. Are you being nice to them? I think I am. I, I try to be nice to them as, as good as I can. I mean, you're nice to me. Technically, I'm kind of an intern, too. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, a lot of people working for this podcast now. Exactly. Exactly. Because, you know, we're, we're up-and-coming podcasts in the history world. Definitely. We have been seeing numbers we haven't seen before since your interviews. So that's great. That's great. I love doing those, too. Those are, those are good. So... So yeah, we're going to keep it going. We're every two weeks, and uh, I mean, maybe we'll just jump right into this because the last episode that you and I did, we left off at the Great Revolt in Assyria, the Revolt of Shamashuma Ukin. Yep. That? Yes, he turned native. He was uh, Ashur Banipal's big brother. He was put into charge of being the king of Babylon, and he turned native. He did turn native. It's like nobody could, could could just the Babylonians just hate the Assyrians. Yes, and he really turned into the classic Chaldean king of Babylon. I know, seriously. 
but I guess let's see how it worked out for him. In the last episode, they weren't doing so well. They were sort of losing the revolt. And um, by mid-650, the northern theater, the Assyrians were in control of the countryside, and they were sieging a bunch of towns, Babylon, Borsippa, Kotha, and Sippar. But Shamashuma Ukan, he could rely on the cities of, in northern and central Babylonia, with the exception of Kotha, and as well as on the Chaldean and the Aramean tribal areas, some exceptions in the far south. And the Assyrians' main support was the non-tribal urban south, Uruk, Ur, Kisik, Kalab, Eridu, Shadadin. I didn't do too bad with those. Oh, you're doing well. <laughs> Plus a few local allies. Um, I'm not even going to try those. They're tribe, you know, some local tribes. Uh, the Gurasimu and some of the Pugudu. Yes, those guys. We're not really sure who had support of the countryside in the north, northern Babylonia. They both, I mean, both, you know, armies were marching back and forth without any opposition. So probably just because it was the position it was in, they just sort of let everybody march through. I think it was just a battlefield with uh, yeah, people were scared, senseless in the north. I would agree. I, I, I don't, I'm not surprised that the Assyrians had the support of the urban south, but uh, I am a bit surprised that the urban north was still with Shamashumaukin, because traditionally the, the city dwellers are the ones that don't like the Chaldeans. Yeah, I guess it's the southern, the southern cities don't like the Chaldeans. Maybe by now the Chaldeans had moved into some more of those cities. Yeah, maybe Shamashumukin actually exerted some influence as the king of Babylon, so the northern cities were close to him and thus loyal to him. Yeah. I mean, I always say I'm not sure why you go against the Assyrians, but they did. Well, he is an Assyrian, and I'm sure he had uh, his troops uh, up to Assyrian standards. Yeah, good point. Or, may, or did he? It doesn't seem like he does. I mean, they, we remember they lost, right in the beginning, they lost a big battle, and then the Assyrians had the upper hand almost right from the start. Um, they, yep. Babylonians did, you know, were able to besiege those cities in the south, and then they started getting some help from Elamites and Arabs, actually. Also, people with death wishes. <laughs> so, yeah, so by the south, the in, in the 650, the south was still in play. The city of Ur was under siege by the Babylonians. I think I mentioned this last time, but I'll sum it up again. There was legal text found at Ur and dated in 650 and 649 that show men selling property rights to, to raise money for food. So we know that the city was subjected to some extreme stress. And there's a damaged letter that suggests its governor may have actually even been forced to submit to Shamashumaukin before they were relieved. So okay. if it was actually lost, though, it was only for a little while because the Syrian troops eventually arrived with the governor of Uruk to rescue the city. Outside of Babylonia, the Elamites and the Arabs, they generally supported the cause of Shamashumaukin, sometimes fighting. Um, Ashurbanipal claimed that Shamashumaukin had induced the kings of Gudium, Amuru, and Meluha these are archaic names for um, Middle Zagros, Northern Syria, and Egypt. 
to rebel with the Babylonian king. Um, it's funny that he calls Egypt Maluha because that's also what the Indus Valley is called. That, it's also interesting that this must be done, the, the Persians, the Medes, the Phoenicians? Yeah, Amuru is like Syria. Or some Phoenicians. Phoenicians, yeah. And then Egypt or Nubia. Mm-hmm. We know that Egypt and Nubia are fighting at this time, so maybe it's Nubia? Yeah, Nubia now has no love for Ashurbanipal, that's for sure. But Samedicus is uh, Ashurbanipal's uh, vassal, so he shouldn't be doing anything here. He shouldn't be, and he isn't. And it's funny, they, there's different... Most of the time, Ashurbanipal doesn't say anything about Semiticus, you know, n- not being loyal, except for one time he sort of says it's really murky. So I'm pretty sure the Semiticus was a good vassal, and he definitely wasn't getting involved in this. And Semiticus has his hands full with the Nubians. Oh, yeah, them, and he's still trying to, you know, um, he's trying to, you know, get his kingdom all together. There's still little kings and stuff around there. He's got Gyges' troops. He used to, anyway. I think most of Gyges' troops are gone. We'll talk about him, too. Yeah, I think there's a lot of carrions and stuff in mm-hmm. Egypt at this time, but we'll we'll return to that when we get to Egypt. Correct. But I wonder if Maluha is just is like an old name for, like, I don't know. I... I Asher upon the scribes, they use a lot of these old names in their inscriptions, but Maluha is definitely the Indus Valley, too. But he's definitely referring to Egypt in this. I actually went back and checked it a bunch of times. Anyhow, sorry to go off on a case. The Elo- there were the Elamite troops that were sent to help the Babylonians. They were defeated on the Tigris near modern Baghdad, and then the Arab troops arrived in Babylon, sort of to shore up the defenses there. Interesting. Shamashamukin really has the traditional Chaldean profile and the Chaldean allies. But uh, him getting the Arabs and possibly then the Nubians on his side, that seems like a good, uh, a lot of good diplomatic work. Yeah, it would seem. I know, you know, and we do know Asher Bianapal sort of exaggerates sometimes. Maybe the Arabs felt threatened by Egypt being an Assyrian vassal. So they would have Assyrians on all sides. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think everybody just kind of kept figuring the Assyrians would run out of arrows and all this, and just now's our they keep now's our chance, now's our chance. But a lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. 
My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It was not their chance yet. Their, their chance will come. Their chance will eventually come. So the Sea Landers were involved, and if you remember, there's um they were led by a grandson of Merodach Baladin, so he's his name is Nabu Bel Shamati. Oh, Merodach Baladin, the the ghost. I know. He's just, he's just never uh he I mean he's been he's been he's been aggravating them since Sargon, right? Yes, since before, I think. Yeah. Yeah, maybe even Shalmaneser. So, unfortunately, we don't know the whole sequence of events that led to the collapse of the revolt in the north or the south. Um, at this point, those cities, the Syrians still had the cities under siege, like we mentioned before, especially Babylon, was under siege for more than two years, and food was becoming very scarce, and there was a plague was ravaging the city. So during this time, the Arab auxiliaries who were serving there, they fought their way out, but they suffered heavy losses. In the time of this pandemic, I'm always interested. I, I do a pandemic podcast in Swedish, and whenever somebody says plague, I'm really curious what they mean, because we know that this is probably not uh, Yersinia pestis, the Black Death. Right. Uh, it's something else. So when the Assyrians say plague, it's just any random disease. I know, correct. Could be cholera, too, from bad water, bad food, dead bodies, that kind of thing, right? I think there are a lot of alternatives, and uh, we don't yeah. really know. But the, the, they never described the plagues very well, so it's really hard to tell. I think they're just so used to them; they weren't like that unusual. Yeah, they just say plague and move on. <laughs> it was also the curses, you know, how they have the curses. So whenever you sign an agreement, so they had to sign an, you know, they had an agreement, and then an the agreement includes all these curses. So the Babylonians had to suffer all these curses like eating each other, these kind of things like they say that people had to you know, resort to that kind of standard stuff during a two year siege must have been hell oh my god, it was horrible there is some descriptions and things you know, they're nasty oh, interesting yeah, there's like, the, there's dead bodies everywhere, they had to like cut them up and when they finally, well they so finally, they did take the city Right, the last known documents come from Shamashuma Ukin in 648. After that, all the northern cities fell, including Babylon, and Shamashuma Ukin died in a fire at Babylon. We'll get into more of that in a minute, but yeah, they said there was dead bodies everywhere. Um, it was just, a, it was a mess. He probably was forced to stay in Babylon to to claim to be the king of Babylon, but it seems like a bad place to lead the rebellion from, as yeah. it is so close to Assyria. True. And, and the Chaldeans never did. Or they, they prefer to lead it from the sea land. Right, and Elam even. That's where Merida, I mean, that's where um, Nabu Belshamadi, he would go into the sea land and into Elam. Yeah. Babylon, very exposed to Assyrian wrath. Yes. Again. So, 
Yeah, so he died in a fire. We'll get into that because there's talk about stories about that. Ashurbanipal okay. reimposes rule over all the land. He took whoever surviving population in Kutha and Sippur, he brought them to Babylon. They really, he sent a lot of the people from Babylon to Assyria, and a lot of them were dead. Um, he appointed a new governor of the city. His name is called, what is his name? Probably you can pronounce that better. Kandalanu. Yeah, that guy, Kandalanu. So this oh, guy. I'm sure he was too well. What's that? Sure, he will do well. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> we don't actually hear. We're gonna. He's gonna be some. We're gonna talk about him in a decade or so. But we don't know much about him. There's different theories. One one possibility is he's one of Ashurbanipal's younger brothers. He's possibly a Babylonian noble. Some also say he's possibly a simple-minded or deformed man. And some even suggested that he's actually. Ashurbanipal himself, and he just uses that name. That's like his author ego. But now that's kind of discredited. Most historians don't believe that. And that's why we have to, we're going to come back to that. And towards the end of Ashurbanipal's reign, there's a couple of inscriptions one from Ashurbanipal, one from Kandalanu. So that's why they, you know, wonder about that. They use that for dating the end of the, his reign. Uh, remember that the king, uh, some Assyrian kings did that. They changed their name for. When they were king of Babylon. Oh. So it has happened before. Yeah. Oh, so they would have one name, when, even even like Sennacherib, who was king of Babylon in? I don't think Sennacherib did it, but Tiglath-Pileser III did it. I see. Yeah. I mean, we know so much, but we don't know stuff, too. Yeah. Well, whatever the case, this can't... Can, Kandalanu's realm was the same as Shamashumaukin's, with the exception of the city of Nippur. That's um, because Ashurbanipal converted that into a powerful Assyrian fortress. That's interesting. The, the northern cities, except for Babylon, was Kutha, Sippar, and Nippur. And now he has moved the population from Kutha and Sippar, and he made Nippur an Assyrian fortress. Yeah. So, yeah, there's very few records of this guy's reign in Babylon. He really probably didn't have any power. You know, by now they just either a puppet or or Ashurbanipal himself. But that being a puppet of Assyria in Babylon still sounds like quite a lot of power. I mean, it's better than being me, <laughs> as far as power is concerned, right? I mean, I don't have any power. I'm just a guy living in Pennsylvania. I think you you will have a happier ending than Kandalano. True, 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 true. I would definitely not. I mean, these guys are like they're like mafia. Or like um like the cartel, you make a mistake. And... So how about uh, Nabu Belshamadi though? He still re- remained at large until 646, and we'll get into him too. Um, the details aren't clear, but he he was probably uh, working from the sea land or in Elam, still sort of making attacks on the Assyrians. So and then things that are going to happen later in this decade here, that's because they want you know they're looking for him, and he's still causing trouble. But he seems to have come out of this pretty good. He joined Shamashumaukin, and now Shamashumaukin is gone. But this Assyrian resistance, everybody who hates Assyria will now look to Nabu Belshamati as a leading figure. Yes, they probably will. We'll see for how long that goes on. Can you, maybe he see if he can evade the Assyrians like his 
dear old grandpa, Meredith Baladin. He would be proud. He would be. Well, we're going to see what happens. We're definitely going to get into it in the 640s here. So wait, here's, okay, here's the story about what happened to Shama Shuma Ugin. Um, one story goes that he was spared his fate by his Simagir, which is a minister to the Babylonian king. And he's probably a eunuch, but I'm not sure. So anyway, apparently uh, the Simagir threw him into a fire. It's not clear from the sources if he did it on his own or if Shamashuma Ukin asked him to do it for him. I mean, personally, I'd ask for it to be a little less painful than thrown into a fire. But I also imagine it's probably a lot better than what happened if he was taken to Nineveh. Yeah, tough choice. Fire or Ashurbanipal's wrath. <laughs> we'll discover that Ashurbanipal is rather an angry person. He's angry and creative. Yes. Very creative. So, and I think I even talked about this in when I did the episode with Ryan, though. So 250 years later, the Greek historian Cestius, he wrote that the king requested the fire to be lit for him and for him to be thrown into it. But he calls him Sardanopolis. So he says that the effeminate king Sardanopolis died with his queen and concubines atop a huge pyre filled with all his wealth. And this story would capture the imagination of writers, painters all throughout the ages. Um, here's the thing, though. Sardanopolis equals Ashurbanipal. Mm-hmm. So he kind of got it wrong. I mean, I think Cestus should be glad Ashurbanipal was long dead when he wrote that. Yeah, I think the, the Greeks and the Romans are very dangerous to listen to when it comes to Syrian things because they, they know about Ashurbanipal and not much else. I mean, well, I have to give them at least they didn't have um, they didn't have all the information that we have now that was found in the 1850s. So I guess I'll give them a pass on it for a little while for that reason. So this was a pretty big story at the time, you know. That's why there was, you know, you know how stories are they get told and retold and changed and made into plays and stuff like that. So there's this a little interesting side here. There's a text that was found and translated about the war between the two brothers. It's on a papyrus, and it was used, uh, was written in the Egyptian Demotic script in, a, in Arabic, in Aramaic, I'm sorry. It was written in Aramaic language, but using the Egyptian Demotic script. And in this version, Ashurbanipal is called King Sarbanabal, Sarbanabal, and his brother is called Sarmuj. And Nineveh is called Binwa. It's a very funny way it's spelled, too. It's like B-N-N apostrophe W-H. So anyway, that's what they called them. And it had to be written a few decades after the event, because in the opening scene, a priest laments the ruined city of Nineveh. And in the opening scene, he also describes Ashurbanipal's birth as blessed, but uh, Shamashuma Ukins as cursed. And in fact, Shamashuma Ugin was cursed with one of the curses from the Ezra Haddon Succession Treaty. I don't know which that one. That makes sense. Yeah, you know, maybe Don. He Peter. obviously did not adhere to the Ezra Haddon Succession Treaty. Right, so he was cursed. The rest of the tale involves their sister getting involved. He tra- she travels to Babylon to talk her brother out of revolting, and then and to get her him to come back with her to Nineveh. Then he refuses. Then she tells him, and this is probably where they got this story, 
she tells him to build a chamber with tar, pitch, incense, as well as his family and advisors, and burn himself on it. So she returns back to Nineveh empty-handed, and then a general goes out and convinces Sarmuj, Shamashumaukan, to come to Nineveh, but somehow he dies on the way and doesn't make it. And then, unfortunately, most of the rest of the papyrus is damaged. Shamashumaukan dies, that is. No. So, that's pretty much the end of the story. Uh, tell me what Demotic script is. I'm glad you asked me that. So, because that was interesting. Demotic script, and it's actually from our period, sort of, too. So, it's um, Demotic script is, they uses the higher, it's a cursive form of hieroglyphic writing using handwritten text. So, instead of having to draw those pictures, it's more of a cursive form. It was started in the early, like our period, this early 7th century to the 5th century. Oh, sorry, it was used until the 5th century AD. Started in the north, like from where uh, Semiticus is from. The Egyptians called it Sekshat, which means writing for documents. And by uh, the 5th century, it came into use everywhere in Egypt for business and literary purposes. There's another script that they use called Heratic. They use that for religious texts. Um, but the Demotic script was used until about 304 BC when the, he started using um, Greek. But it's, it was seen as late as 452 AD um, from priests in Egypt. Huh. So I'll put a link on the in the show notes so you can see what it looks like. Kind of looks like Arabic. It's very cursive. It's, it still, it's still the symbols. It's just a simpler write, uh, way to write the hieroglyphics. Yeah, if you look, you'll see oh, you'll see a picture of like the hieroglyphics, like yeah. oh, it would be a bird or an eye, and then they just sort of, you know, they sort of it come It kind of looks there. like Arabic. It really does. Yeah. Exactly. Huh. It's interesting. Okay, so the rebellion is over. Yes. And Ashurbanipal stands victorious. He does over his brother. No, I think oh, there will be peace and happiness all think? over the world. Well, no, I doubt it. I think I think we should end this episode and we're gonna find out whatever what happens. I think we're gonna settle some scores. All right. All sounds right. Good. We'll, yeah, sounds good. All right. So you guys tune in the next time, and we're gonna catch up on the rest of the events of the 640s BC. Yeah. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.